Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. been so long since you've been on the podcast in fact we we've oh my gosh. got it down to a science now in fact i know you guys are such professionals <laughs> yeah, exactly. we have like we have like celebrity appearances and stuff from christine every week now which is exciting exactly christine has be has had to become an audio pro yes and now um you do too welcome casey Howe. we are starting we're starting. Oh my gosh. Jack, it is so good to hear your voice. <laughs> I mean, so I know that I get to hear it every week on the podcast, but it's not always directed <laughs> towards me and it just makes me feel really special. And so it hasn't you. in a while. It's, I mean, <sighs> we haven't talked on this podcast in a while, but we are overdue for a chat because uh, our listeners need to know what's going on in our Yeah, neck of the and woods. so much has happened. My goodness. <laughs> so I mean, much. I think the last year, last year we talked about this time and right. we had just come back from TIFF and from, it was yes, like actual a normal world. It really was. <laughs> and, and season and everything was like, you know, yeah. we were all geared up for it. And this year, um, you know, obviously, and we'll get into more detail, but we've, um, you know, really had to shift gears and, yeah. you know, um, everything from, you know, certainly the, the shows themselves to, you know, what are festivals these days and how can we make it work totally. and how can everybody jump in and be helpful and, and um, you know, and keep things going. So it's yeah. been fun. And those are all like ongoing questions that you and I are certainly not going to like definitively answer today. It's just like, I mean, and obviously our list, there's no listener who doesn't know that something's up with this award season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, well, um, you know what the fun thing is, is that I've kind of um, normally award season will bridge like into into two years. Right. So we have to call it like the 2020, 2021 award season. Now I've totally dropped 2020 oh and we can just go 2021. You're so So I'm kind of excited about that. Right. Like It's just 2021. Here we come. Like that's actually boom. so true. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because, um, I mean, I, I would say one of the main points about this award season is just the simple fact that it is the Oscars that have been moved back to April 25th. April 25th will be the show. Will be the show. And so that, yes. um, as you and I know, and our listeners should know, the Oscars really do decide the rest of Film and Guild's award season. The Film Independent Spirit Awards, for example, are always held the day before the Oscars. Um right. Kathy Connell, who created and runs the SAG Awards, she has said on this podcast that how they decide when the SAG Awards air depends on when the Oscars will air in any given year. And then they kind of work backwards from there, right? Like it's then, okay, what's the voting period? Okay, what's the nominations announcement? Okay, what's the SAG nominations period? And as you are saying, none of that's happening in 2020. That's all happening in winter of 2021. Right, right. Crazy. 
Yeah. And it'll be, you know, and, and I really do. I commend all of the guilds and mm. Oscars for saying, look, you know, we don't need to stick with what we've done. We can adjust. We can be nimble. We can figure yeah. this out, you know, yeah. and we don't need to throw our hands in the air and say, well, forget about it. You know, we can make this we can make mm. this work. And just to back up a little bit, I mean, the Emmys um, certainly had to move the goalposts in the middle of the game. So (laughs) they were, you know, and I think they just, they really made a good example of, you know, we can adapt, we can figure this out. You know, we're still going to have a season. We're still going to honor all of our great content. Totally. And, you know, we're going to make it interesting for your average, um, you know, person out there who just loves to watch television mm-hmm. and and you know your critics and and um people who are in the industry so you know right. the emmy season was really interesting this year it was so much fun there was so much content you know and i really felt like you know because of the situation with the pandemic and people were really watching so much tv that so many people got to have an opinion on it and oh, participate and you yeah. know they're like no i know that show you know no i watched that so it was right. really i think the energy around that was really fun and engaging for people yeah. and and i think that you know that was really interesting for me to to sort of observe um right Across the board, you know, and I think that um, certainly our television partners got really excited about things. And I think that, um, you know, the the producers of the show themselves did such a great job with, you know, making it work and making it interesting and really set a good example. So I think that just reassured a lot of these um, you know, the Oscars and, and even SAG, you know, yeah. and everybody to say like, okay, we got this, you know, like we got this, we can do this. Let's push forward. Yeah. We're going to change our dates. No big deal. Right. We're going right. to make sure we can include as many films and as many television productions as possible. You know, let's keep this going and let's yeah. make it fun and exciting. So I think that's been, um, really positive to see. Really encouraging. From, yeah, yeah. Just really encouraging, you know, those other shows It reassured you and me. I mean, and I was going to ask you, like, from an ad, you are the um, head of ad sales at Backstage, from the ad perspective, like, how did our business or how did TV networks, Emmy business change in the year 2020? And how might that, does that provide clues for the upcoming film and guild season? Yeah, you know, great question. Um, I think that, you know, some of the things that we saw that were interesting and really exciting were, you know, people they their budgets had to shift because of events right so they had to think about different strategies which was really interesting yeah um no and live they, events no live events um but yet the new live event is is a virtual live event you know yeah. so it's it's no we're still doing it we're still participating it just looks a little different <laughs> yeah. um and that learning curve you know again everybody just really jumped on things um totally. as far as as figuring that out and i think that um you know, that was really interesting to see. And then also what was really interesting to see was the shift to, okay, how can we reach these people when they're not in their office, right? How can we get to them in different ways so that we can we can speak to them and campaign to them, mm-hmm. but in a, in a more natural way of 
where are they now? So we saw yeah. a lot of content support. We saw a lot of con- of support for this podcast, which was really yeah. great. Yeah. Um, you know, the and, and people were ongoing. just, yeah, you know, and they were um, just getting a little more creative. Whereas I think <laughs> normally you can sort of stick with what you know and say, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this is my formula. I think that the formula had to shift a little bit. And yeah. um, again, credit goes to to all of those PR reps and, oh, yeah. and, um, digital and print agencies who kind of went, okay, now what, you know, and everybody just said, nope, we're going to figure this out and let's go for it and let's go big and let's not, you know, no, you know, run, run scared or try and back off or, you know, it's no, let's, let's have fun with it. That's the thing. It is so daunting. Like you said, they really do deserve credit. It's such a daunting task. This idea of, um, changing the goalposts in the middle of the game, like, it could have taken them a full year or, a, or, you know, a full season to put everything on hold and figure things out. Sure. And instead, the talent adapted, the PR adapted, all the advertisers. I mean, what are, just so just so we know, what are the typical um, sort of like weapons in the arsenal of an awards campaign? Because, yes, there are live events. That includes premieres, premieres right. of projects. That's a big one. Um, that includes film festivals, which, of course, right. like, we want to talk about more. And it includes like live events that are like Q and A's. And um, there's a lot of, I know SAG and other unions do a lot of talks where they focus on a specific aspect of the craft, like acting. That and press, I mean, what else typically happens in an awards campaign? What are we missing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, certainly a big tool are, are um, you know, trades like us where we yes. we can really reach your voting constituency since we're all, you know, geared up for voting. That's the same sort of thing where mm. you're trying to reach the right group. Right. And so, yes, there are tools there. That's really where we come in, come in handy. I think that the, um, you know, the the strategies around these live events and, and some of the things that we launched around the slate and voiceover mm-hmm. Content and all of this different stuff, trying to reach people where they are, I think became the new yeah. strategy of what are we missing. But the fun thing was too is that they didn't completely drop, you know, your your Q and A's and your things like that. Mm-hmm. It was just okay. How can we do them? Okay, we have this thing called Instagram Live. <laughs> let's totally. let's figure that out. Okay, we have this thing called Zoom, which apparently everybody knows how to work now. So yeah, let's we all have to get know how the to work ca- it, yeah. yeah, let's get all the cast members on and let's do the Q and A because totally. that's the fun part. I think I for most people for yeah. these campaigns is being able to talk about the project, being able to have have fun with the cast members, being able to engage with the audience in real time. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, if you've worked on a project for so long and then oh, exactly. it just sort of gets put out there, but you don't get to engage with the audience exactly. on it, I think that takes, that takes away. So I think that that was really fun for people. I think that they've um, had a lot of fun with it and, and have been able to you know, also engage in ways where they probably wouldn't have based on, say, a travel schedule, right? If I'm at TIFF and uh-huh. I'm doing a talk, it's only the 50, 100 people in the room. This opens right. it up for so many more people, which right. was so cool. And it totally. was just something that, you know, I, I made this this analogy a couple times as we were going through the process. I said, look, we probably would have gotten to virtual Q&As and, and oh. Instagram Lives and all this stuff, but we just had to do it sooner 
right? We would have gotten there. But now this really just forced everybody. And I think we saw some of that with our launching of the slate too. It's like, we've been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. Now it's like, well, we have every incentive to do it now. Let's go, you know? And so I think that that was something that was really interesting too. And I think that it just helped, you know, if you're looking for a bright side, (laughs) it's, it's helped, it helped sort of get people over that last little hump of, okay, you know, is content really going to be helpful? And right. can we, you know, can we do something virtually and have it not be, you know, and still have it have it live up to a standard that we're all yes. accustomed to and we want to keep it that way. So, you know, I think that was really interesting. But I think yeah. those are, you know, those core elements of a campaign, I think, stay. I just think that that the look of them changes a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the magic of technology can transcend like, yeah, geography. Yeah. Which, of course, makes me think about film festivals. So the thing about film festivals that, of course, we've been thinking about for months is like they really cannot be underestimated in terms of their importance, really just the core importance to the filmmaking industry itself. Like you've made a film and you want distribution or maybe you even have distribution and you want it. You want to get it out there. You want to, like, as you say, connect it to the correct, connect it to as many audience members as possible. Film festivals are a really, really key way of doing that. And like a lot of what you just said about the the elements of a, of a of an awards campaign, those apply to film festivals. And so TIFF and New York Film Festival and all of those European festivals, I mean, everyone mm-hmm. should be commended for also rolling with the punches and transitioning to virtual. I do think, of course, it's impossible to predict how, for example, watching a film you and I have watched films. I mean, you and I, quote unquote, attended TIFF, right? Yes. Yes, we did. We were but in we, attendance. We were in attendance, but that meant we saw none of those films in a packed theater full right. of like excitement and full of like, oh, the stars are here. They're going to be in a red carpet event. We're going to go to a party afterward. None of that is happening. So I wonder how this film award season will be affected by the fact that everyone voting, everyone critiquing, everyone involved in the filmmaking industry this year is seeing the film's on their laptop or maybe they can transport it onto their big screen in their living room, but it is not the same. And I wonder if that kind of shifts the, I don't know, the quality of film that gets recognition or which films are more valued in this crazy time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really great point. I think that it's, um, you know, a couple things that just sort of pop to mind is, um, you know, I think that we are getting more used to viewing, um, you know, viewing things on different screens and being able to recognize and appreciate film across the board. Um, I do think that there is, you know, there's always going to be an element of, um, you know, and we even talked about this, I think, last year, there's always that like theaters versus not theaters versus all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And it's like, the Netflix effect. Sure, sure. And I think that, um, you know, I think that there are pros and cons to both. I Mm -hmm. hate to sort of, you know, be wishy-washy about it. But look, there's nothing that takes that that will replace sitting in a theater with other people and all laughing at the same time. There just won't, you know, that's really special. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, again, you know, it, it, it does a couple things that I think that the opening of the film festivals virtually does open it up to more eyes. So you can maybe reach a distribution company that maybe wouldn't normally go to TIFF or wouldn't be looking for that film or something Mm -hmm. to that effect. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, that also, you know, there's that pro, but I think that there also is a bit of, um, you know, when you walk out of TIFF, or at least in years past, when when by the time TIFF and New York Film Festival came around, 
you sort of had a had a landscape of ah, film and of yes. the film what the race was going to look like the race, and it, and sure. it doesn't always point that way but you get mm-hmm. a sense right Definitely. i think that this this year my sense and my sense of sort of talking to other people is that we're all a little um we don't have that clear landscape, yet, totally. you know, and I think that also has something to do less less with the festivals and what they did, because I think they did a great job of rolling out these films and getting mm-hmm. as many as possible without all the bells and whistles that people want when they bring their, their film to a festival. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, so I think it's more of a function of the calendar change than it is the festivals themselves. Yeah. If the festivals had been able to, say, push their timeline back or shift, um, you know, maybe that changes things. But I just think that's a function of timing less about the festivals or the quality of films at the festivals. So, right. Yeah. I mean, looking at specifically last year, like this year is, of course, unusual. But even just compared to last year, last year was an unusually short film award season. Very true. And it was actually, I mean, it was it was actually kind of a hassle. It was it was chaotic in a different way because everyone was crammed into scheduling all of those award shows in January and February. And I think you're right that in a season like that, the quote unquote front runners and the state of the race is it has to be clarified a lot sooner. Whereas this year, it's like there's the Oscars aren't until April. Yeah. All the time in the world. Yeah. To well, and it's a really, you know, you bring up a good point, Jack, because look, we're we're saying, oh my gosh, you know, the dates change and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The dates change every year. They shift a little <laughs> totally. bit. You know, it's right. some one, you know, last year it was super quick, and the year prior yeah. to that, I think it was long. And it was, you know, so I think that we get into a sense of um, you know, we may be in a mode now where everybody's like, oh my gosh, everything's changing and shifting, and yeah. you know, what's happening? But it's like, well, you know, each season is a little bit different. You know, uh, and so I think that's interesting. And side note, like the date of the Oscars is also, correct me if I'm wrong, it's determined by things like what the network that's airing the Oscars, like if they have to accommodate for the Olympics or football. Yep. Like, exactly. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's funny because your your point last year about everybody had to sort of cram in all these shows, hmm. you know, that is absolutely a factor. There are only so many um, Sundays to do these award shows, at least hmm. the televised ones. And I think that that, you know, it gets tricky with, with all the other things happening. So, you know, having a little bit of space and distance from some of this might, might give it a little extra uh yeah. boost who knows you know it, it'll be right. an interesting experiment in, in and of itself so that is so true and yet at the same time there's also this element of like the other thing that is causing more uncertainty in this film award season is just the simple fact that so many of these movies are getting delayed right i'm reading now from a list of movies that would have premiered in 2020 for 2021 Oscar consideration and are now definitely only in contention for 2022 Oscars. Right. That includes The French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson movie, In the Heights and West Side Story, both those big, big budget musicals. Um, A Quiet Place Part 2 is supposed to come out in March of 2020. It is so delayed. Oh my goodness. And you've got um, Dune and a a lot of the Marvel movies. And then the most recent one that was just announced is Respect. Right. Jennifer Hudson, Aretha Franklin movie is um, we all assumed it was happening this year and it's not. So stuff like that. I mean, Casey and I have been prepping for this this film award season for weeks now. <laughs> and as we keep going, it's like, oh, uh, so this one's not a contender anymore. Oh, got it. Oh, right. <laughs> and that's right. actually kind of true on the TV side too. We're seeing delays and complications there. So that's just another 
chaotic element. It sure is. It sure is. And I think that will be the nature of things for a little bit as we sort of start, stop, you know, openings and, right. and figuring out what, what can be done with it's a process. Um, productions that are half done or, yeah. um, or, you know, mostly done or not even started yet. I was speaking the other night with someone who was just in love with this one TV show. And, uh, and she said, you know, when is it coming back? When is it coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they started in anything before, (laughs) before everything got shut down. So they have a full, you know, season to shoot. It's going to take some time guys. So, um, you know, I think that, but, but we can't really boohoo ourselves. We have so much content to watch. We'll be just fine. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But, um, but I think that'll be the interesting thing to see sort of, what films, you know, do end up sticking to their timelines, which films need to move for whatever reason that might be. There are mm-hmm. tons of reasons that that could occur. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it it also reminds me a little bit of a season, I believe it was two or three seasons ago, where um, there were a lot of sort of smaller budget indie films that really got pushed to the front because yeah. either the bigger budget films weren't awardsy enough for lack of a better term mm-hmm. or they got changed or they got moved or the releases were off sure. or something so you ended up with a lot of smaller budget indie yeah. films that were very artsy and unique in their own way and that may be more of a film season that we're looking at Absolutely. versus say the last couple years where we've seen you know these big budget films that have been contenders um, from yeah. these big studios and it just you know every few years things shift and studios come together studios get broken apart you know oh, you, there's re- that you rework yeah. this you rework yeah. that you know it's it that happens i think with any industry every you know few years so each it's each so season true. looks a little bit different. Um, it's so true. Like, yeah. it, it really is true that, like, um, each year, the qualities of what we consider a front runner just change. I mean, sure. if it speaks to the current political moment or what we're in the mood for. And I do think it's a safe prediction to say, like, that this year, first of all, those those contenders and the, the pool of options, but also, yeah, what we want to watch is maybe more on the smaller, more intimate, maybe quieter I don't know. I mean, escapism is a is a theme I keep coming back to in this crazy pandemic of what do I consider escapist? What do I want to escape into? What do I consider good <laughs> right, distraction? Right. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which one? Which one can I watch and not feel bad that I watched that? And then De- one totally, that I, totally. you know, one that I watch that I can still have fun watching. You know, so I yeah. think that's those yeah, affect think, voters. You know, and we've talked a lot about the film season. You know, it's certainly um, coming off of this this Emmy season. I mean, television is one that you know will not be denied and i think that this sag yeah this sag and globe season will be very interesting again just from the sheer volume of content yeah everyone's watching so much tv yeah yeah and what got recognized i think um you know will will carry over a bit into the following Mm -hmm. um into the you know the this this 2021 season um but I think that will be interesting to see. And then and then depending on how the um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but depending on how that calendar <laughs> goes, you know, will that run right back into Emmys of 2021? So, you know, television right. is something that is that is ongoing and they're just yeah. I feel like over the past 
certainly, you know, four or five years, but even over the last year, you know, there have been some newcomers to television that have made really smart decisions and taken a lot of risks Mm. and said, no, we're going to go with this edgy content. We're going to go with this, you know, we'll spend our money on this and we'll get something that's really great. And, and I, you know, I think that that's, um, a unique, uh, opportunity for television as well from that end. So the TV landscape is very like amenable to risks these days. It's, it's paid off with Emmys. And as you say, it is so year-round. This year, I, I felt like there was no lull at all. After the Emmys, it was immediately into, well, who are we campaigning for Globes? What's what's going on for SAG TV? You know. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that um, you know, it's really great for for those shows too. I think that sometimes, I think for a long time, those shows that cover both TV and film, you know, TV felt like you know the the black swan a little bit of. Okay, we're here too, you know. (laughs) And now I think that they, you know, they have really, really top talent, and it's really an interesting factor. Yeah, and a really interesting landscape, and they're just the the medium of even a limited series. I think, and the prestige that's come with that over the last two or three years has opened up a lot of opportunities for what would be, um, you know, filmmakers to branch into television. And I think that's yeah, that's there's a blending of the two of the two mediums. I would say. And just it just opens up so many opportunities for different storytelling, right? And, Absolutely, and and oper- and different stories to get picked up and, and adopted and turned into, um, you know, whether it's a limited series or a movie or whatever. Yes, yeah, totally. Well, going off of that, do you have like a fa- to just to get into really subjective territory here? Do you have like a favorite twenty twenty film you've seen so far, and also maybe a twenty twenty series? Oh boy. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to choose because last year I was so wrong, but I still stand by my choice. Well, it's favorite. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can pick your favorite and if that ends up winning best picture, then great. You know, you know I haven't, I think that I, I really don't want to say for film yet because I don't feel like I've seen enough. Okay. Um, I definitely sure. saw some really interesting stuff at TIFF that, that jumped out, yeah. um, that, you know, a couple of them don't even, don't have distributors yet. I don't believe. No. But that yeah. Was, yeah um, so that'll be really Concrete interesting. Cowboy. Yeah. That that was distributed that yet. was what I was what I was thinking of. Yeah, um, I'm like, great. Oh, I, I kind of really liked that um, because you like and, horses. Well, that's probably very true. <laughs> Actually, I'm probably entirely biased and don't remember <laughs> anything else of that film except for all the horses. So <laughs> that's highly really that's highly likely, Jack. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, yeah, that was very interesting, and I think um, you know, I think we have some fun months ahead of us for what's going to yeah. get released, and I think that'll be really interesting to see who goes with what i think that um you know amazon has some really interesting stuff i think mm-hmm. netflix has some interesting stuff i think that um you know for sure the streamers made some really um big moves during yeah. this time and yeah. they're really going for it so right, right. kudos to them and um no one can say that they're not trying so um, absolutely it'll yeah. be really interesting i think to see this year of you know with the changes in and everything from culture to, you know, how we're watching and what we're watching and what's yeah. acceptable and what's not acceptable. I think that that will be um, really fun to watch, really fun to Absolutely. watch. Absolutely. I mean, whatever is considered a a contender or the contender, you know, for the ultimate best picture prize, like it's, it's going to be f- a fascinating window into this crazy time. Like historically, it will be Absolutely. remembered as like, that is emblematic of this element yeah. of the chaos of 2020, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so true. I so think that true. my like I think my favorite film so far of 2020 is I'm just going to go out on a limb and just Do say it. 
It's Nomadland. Okay. Which is the story of, of, of Francis McDormand playing, but it's almost documentary. Stuck. Chloe Zhao made it like as, as if it's a documentary. It's so it's beautiful. beautiful. About this real life culture of people who live out of their vans and kind of in the middle of nowhere, they live this nomadic life. For whatever reason, that spoke to me and it speaks to 2020. Like it speaks to isolation and freedom and the lack of freedom and economic woes. There's a lot to connect there. And of course it was made before a pandemic affected everything. So that's just yeah. one example, you know? Absolutely. I think that's always the fun thing about any award season is you, you know, you get this landscape and you get this idea of what's going to happen. Even I think last year after TIFF, it was, okay, you know, here's, here are top contenders. Here's what we think. And then all of a sudden, boom, pair, yeah. you know, it's like the whole, you know, this whole thing that happened. So I think that, um, you know, and the whole thing that happened, I just mean how, how Parasite took off, right. And how it yes. just didn't lose momentum and it just, it was unstoppable. And how unpredictable so, that was. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I think that that happens. And then I think with, um, you know, again, this television will not be denied thing. You know, it's, I think <laughs> that, I think that the television, you know, the teams just are so good that they, you know, they, they always sort of have a little something extra up their sleeve and mm -hmm. and to drop something like that now, I'm like, oh, you got me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's so So exciting. it's always, you know, you, you kind of never know what's coming. And that's always a really fun part. Too. That is part of the fun of, of, of an award show, of an awards race. Yeah, yes, totally. yes. Well Where said. you can you can have it all laid out and then something really unique or special or that different or whatever comes totally. along and, and you go, oh, what about that one? You we know? don't want things so. to be predictable. No. If anything, this year is great because there are no known. There are very few known factors at play here. So. Yes. Yes. As I've as I've liked to start saying, people will ask, you know, so what do you think is going to happen? This And I said, well, did you bring your crystal ball today? Because that's the only <laughs> way we're going to know. <laughs> well, oh my gosh. Well, what a perfect note to end on because that really is fitting. Like you and I, we I think you and I just did a little bit of looking into the crystal ball, but it is true that we can't possibly predict anything that's gonna happen in the next six months considering the last six months, you know. Correct. Correct. I think that's <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. I think that we're confident that there will be a very fun and energetic SAG Globes Oscar season. Yeah. I'm confident for that. Um, I think that that it'll be fun to watch how everything unfolds. Um, yeah. you know, over I am the, looking forward to and it. over the yeah. holidays and over, you know, that mm -hmm. whole season is normally you know, heads down and and uh, let's oh, yeah. let's get Working it. Working on let's Thanksgiving is what Backstage yes. usually has to do, and we don't this year. It's true. And so it'll just be interesting because I think we'll get. To, I think everybody, you know, will get to pause and enjoy that time and and be yeah. able to see different films and watch and different shows in a different right. setting, you know, in a different mood than than we may normally be in. That's so true. Yeah. So. What a great optimistic note to end on. It should, it should be. I always otherwise like pessimistic to, year. Yeah. No, 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 no. We have to figure out a way to find <laughs> the brightness and and um, absolutely and find that somewhere. So absolutely, I like it. Well, thank you, yes. Kate. This was great. Oh my god. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. I'm gonna absolutely. I'm gonna pack up my crystal ball and yeah. go now. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And then I need listeners some scarves are, or something. Yeah, we have to stargaze. We need to look at our horoscopes for upcoming. Um, listeners, stick around to hear from uh, Christine McKenna-Torella, our casting insider. And Casey, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that's everything we have to cover. I mean, we we can have you back on in a, in a couple months if if the rules of the game completely change again. <laughs> we have to... 
we're on our Dive toes. Deep on we're that. on our toes. Exactly. Exactly. But yes, Jack, thank you for having me. It's always so uh, great to chat with you. And yes. Um, and hello, hello to all of our wonderful listeners. We love you. <laughs> and um, please let us know if you want to hear about anything or if we can help with anything. Please um, reach out. We, yes. yes, please, please reach out. Yes, you know, it's you. funny you say that um, Oriella St. Louis, our lovely, the person who reads the credits, you'll hear who listeners hear in every episode. She, yes, she I does say, Oriella. yeah, she does say, you know, reach out and tell us who you would like to interview next. And I would just like to side note here and say, I just got a lovely message on LinkedIn mm. um, from somebody who just wanted to say they were a fan of the podcast. And they also made a request for an actor for us to um, to interview. And I think I'm not going to say who it is in case I can't deliver on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, that's so much you know, fun, gonna, That's you guys. exactly what we yes. want. Yeah. Yes, so. absolutely. No, reach out to us on, you know, social media or or yes, LinkedIn please. or, you know, even <laughs> via email. And, um, yeah. you know, please do let us know if there's a topic listening. you want us to cover or exactly. um, yeah. a person. And, and we will make that that outreach and see what we perfect. can come up with for you. Yeah, perfect. Oh, my God. Casey, OK, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. Today I want to discuss networking. Networking right now can be challenging because a lot of casting offices are closed or their projects are on hold and talent managers and agents are furloughed. People have been sick stuck at home and it's an election year, there is a lot going on. The first thing to remember right now is that we are all people experiencing the challenges you are. So acting like a pandemic is not happening during an election year, it's not a good idea. I would advise instead of using a playbook that's pre-pandemic, this is the perfect time to take a step back do research, and if the possibility presents itself, connect authentically with people you'd love to work with. So where do you start? Make a list of the people you want to connect with post-COVID. A great place to start is our call sheet, which backstage users get included with their subscription. The call sheet is updated regularly to reflect staff projects and the staff that are in those offices, and more importantly, the office's policy on getting in touch with them. Now, again, I emphasize, I don't think that unsolicited cold contact will be very effective right now, but this is a great exercise in knowing the business. You should gather a list of your dream work colleagues. Secondly, be in the room where it happens. A bit cheesy, I know, but you'll remember it. And what I mean by that is that you have to network. And it's still possible, even online, you can attend industry events such as Q&As, panels, festivals, screenings, educational workshops. I'd argue that some casting directors are more accessible now on that type of platform than ever before. And you can follow them, get their advice about the shows that they work on, understand what they are looking for in the actors they cast. It is a great opportunity and it's most of it's been free. Take a look at this slate. We had a lot of really great casting directors from March onwards. Come on and do some really fab things. Most of them were archived 
um, on our YouTube channel. So go over to Backstage on YouTube. Be social savvy. Follow all the casting offices and talent agencies that you're interested in. If you want to befriend a casting professional or director or producer on social media, i.e. Facebook or Instagram, then your profile should be a mix of professional meets personal, i.e. market yourself, emphasis on professional. Show yourself working on auditions, in rehearsal, supporting other people making art. Otherwise, don't share it. My pet peeve is when an actor befriends me on social media and then posts either super personal stuff or has a tendency to write reviews of the shows they've seen. If you've listened to some of the other segments that I've done, you'll know that I have very little time for armchair critics. As Roosevelt said, if you're not in the arena with me, the criticism does not count. If you want to make your profile private, you should. Link your social media to your professional website, your backstage profile, etc. Even if I can't look at your posts, I should be able to Google you and find you on Facebook or whatever. And a tool like Linktree will get all your links for your websites in one place. Let's talk about LinkedIn. I think that's a separate social media base because, of course, it's meant for professionals. It's a good place to do research on professionals and entertainment. But if you want to connect with with a stranger, add a personal note of value. Why should this person connect with you if they haven't met you? I always add notes. Recently, I've asked a number of our backstage freelance writers to connect on LinkedIn, people that have admired the articles that they've written. And when I do that, I tell them a little bit about myself in the note and I reference the article that I really enjoyed reading. And that's why I want to connect with them. And I make that clear. Everyone has said yes so far. (laughs) Add value. If you're following the casting professional or agent that you're interested in working with, look at what they're posting. Maybe you aren't right for a casting they post, but can you share it? Support their posts if you agree with them. And what are their interests inside and outside the business? Can you connect with them over a non-entertainment? It's something or other. I have a number of actors that I now consider friends because we share a love of running or cycling or Irish theatre. The list goes on. Trust me. I know the difference between an actor that wants me to do something for their careers versus someone who actually has a genuine interest in having a friendship with me. Remember to follow up, probably the most important part of any type of networking. A quick thank you card or note goes a long way. It could be a simple thank you for the panel you held, it was super helpful, or thank you for the audition opportunity, or thanks for chatting with me. And this episode was all about award season. If you see a show that a casting director gets nominated on or wins something on, that's a great reason to connect. A simple congratulations. Keep it in a professional space. Never cold call an officer a professional. No one likes that. And if I haven't worked with you, I think social media direct messages are too personal, but that's just my preference. Head over to our channel on YouTube. Melanie Fricetti did a great workshop on this topic. She has great additional ideas and tips and strategies on how actors can continue to market themselves during COVID-19. 
finally on to the castings of this week. So three cool projects. One is British. You know, I'm always liking to um, highlight our, our actor community and our creator community over there too. So let's start with the British project. Very cool. A pilot for a TV series shooting in the UK seeking a British talent. Production will be early 2021. They're looking for a teenager, female teenager with an authentic London accent for a lead role. I need to be London accent, not Essex, not Cockney. I appreciate that. You know I love my remote baking opportunities. Um, remote baking shows seeking professional, trained and talented vegan home bakers for a baking series that will be filmed in your kitchen. And finally, a fruit beer commercial that is casting a diverse group of people, roughly between 27 and 35, must be legally 25 to participate, seeking talent based in New York. That's all I have for this week. Head over to Backstage for more casting calls. I'm Christine McKenna-Torella. Have a beautiful week. Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Browse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.